Hello, everyone. You know what's going on when you hear this tune playing. It's a new episode of the What's Going On podcast with me, Jacob. And I'm also here with my best friend, Chua. How you doing, family? What are you saying, Giza? <laughs> Such a random thing, man. I love it. I love it. Love it. How you feeling? You all good? Bro, I'm good. Happy to be back again. Yes, man. Me too. Me too. Even though it's freezing outside, the only thing I've been thinking about all day today while at work, I've just been thinking about going, getting into this podcast studio, recording another episode. I've just been, I've just been buzzing, basically. Bro, I've been hyping all day. Fam. Yeah, man. How you been since the last last episode that we recorded? How's life been? It's been, I mean, enjoying the World Cup. Yeah. It's been, it's been fantastic. Yeah. You know, insane last round of group games. But other than that, I've been, it's been chilly in this bitch, bro. Yeah, man. For Fuck sure. For yeah. sure. For sure. There's no reason to go out. Basically, just sit down and watch the, the World Cup, exactly, right? Exactly, man. Yeah. It's actually, I, I, I don't think it's such a bad concept, actually. I think it's uh, like growing on me. The Winter World Cup? Yeah, the Winter World Cup. Actually, mm. I was like super negative. I was like, I w- I'm never going to watch that shit. You know, with all the Qatar thing. Yeah. But also with the like, during the the winter, you never watch like a World Cup then. It's, it's supposed to be like warm. It's supposed to like be like watching them, watching the games from like fucking rooftops and shit. Yeah, right. But now, now Beer you can- in the sun. Yeah, exactly. But now you can sit at home. You can enjoy the games. It's dark outside. Yeah, it's dark outside. Basically nothing else to do than just enjoy footy. And then- before when the game started at like 11, uh, 2, um, five, 5, and then eight. at 8 o'clock. That was like the dream, basically. Just okay. like football on all day long. Okay. Actually, I was like, it was like almost like too many games. But I, I, ne- I never I never complained like too many games. Luxury problem. Oh, for sure. Maybe employers weren't too happy about it. They probably no. saw productivity go down quite a bit. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think there were a lot of home workers that said like, ah, I feel like my, my throat is a bit like, I don't yeah, feel 100%. Right? I'm, I'm a bit chilly today and I'm like, I'm, oh, I'm sneezing sure, a bit. So I might, might as well stay at home and then just benched the whole World Cup. No doubt. Yeah, shout out to all all y'all watching the <laughs> watching the World Cup while while you're on your payroll. Shout out to your, all yours. <laughs> but something else, actually, we, we we have started this concept. Like the World Cup is ongoing, as we said. But um, we would also like to emphasize and also like focus a lot on um, things that are going on outside of the World Cup that is basically not not linked to the World Cup itself. And uh, this week has been. Uh, Quite a quite a strange situation, or quite a like big bang that happened in uh, in uh, north of Italy, actually. So uh, it's the famous club Juventus, one of the biggest in in Italy. Um, it's been uh, it's been pretty pretty messed up in the club. Can you can you start off by telling us what what's been going on in Juventus the last last few days? So last Monday on the twenty eighth of November, yeah. the whole board resigned, and why did it happen? It's to do with an ongoing investigation into the club's finances. Yeah. More specifically, allegations of false accounting, false financial statements, and market manipulation. Yeah. And the statement that was released by Juventus was that given the centrality and the relevance of the pending legal and technical accounting matters, the board considered it the best interest of the company that Juventus provided itself with a new board of directors to address these matters. Yeah. There's some basically some corporate bullshit, but (laughs) what it's actually saying is that um, they, the the board, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't fully support this board, and it was actually quite, uh, quite like uh, famous names in there. Uh, for example, uh, the Juve legend Pavel Nedved, the Czech Republic 
uh, international, the Former vice president. Yeah, the vice president, exactly. And also Agnelli, right? Exactly, Agnelli, yeah. the chairman. Yeah, who's also like part of the ownership group. Yeah. The Agnelli family have more or less owned Juve for, it's actually coming up to 100 years right now. Yeah. Um, it would have been 100 crazy. years in a couple months time. Yeah. An insane dynasty. I think yeah. he's the fourth generation of the yeah. family who's who's been in charge of the club. So basically you can say that the Agnelli family, they pretty much are Juventus. Yeah. And have been Juventus since football basically started. Interesting. And uh, Juventus, they, they've been quite dominating in the in the Italian football. Uh, not the, the recent years, but since 2011, they've been uh, they've been dominating Italian football for, for several years. I mean, they've been the team when you think of Italy, right? Yeah. But I think it's good. Ah, as Milan okay. support, you know, it's... Ah. <laughs> okay, the last Can't decade. You the, last decade the, the last decade, yeah, for sure. But Milan, we're coming strong. But uh, yeah, Juventus is arguably uh, the biggest club. I think it would be good if we kind of just gave a little bit of historical context yeah. to Juventus. So let's rewind back to the 06-07 season yeah. where Juventus were in the Serie B, which is the yeah. second tier of Italian football, yep. where they got demoted due to the Calciopoli scandal, which was... That's, that's, a, that's a word that you, you heard quite a lot. You know, even, even though you, you don't know that much about Italian football, you heard the word Calciopoli previously and i think that many people you, you know they joke about it to culturally that they like uh, that they like pay their referees and stuff but it's it's quite quite big like what it what it all was right it's huge and it, you know it goes against the integrity of the sport in itself yeah you know and the, yeah and this scandal had to do with it was essentially a refereeing scandal and as a punishment juventus went down to serie b and they played like in serie b with like players like del piero um i think it was I think Turam stayed, Slaton left, but I think they, they had like pretty like huge names, Cavaronesi back in the days and all of them in yeah, City B. For sure. I mean, they were able to keep quite a few of the big stars, yeah. but they were also able to slim down their squad and get rid yeah. of some other big stars who were maybe, you know, taking up a big part of the payroll, who maybe yeah. they wanted to move on anyway. And this was the perfect time to do that. You could also say Calciopoli actually benefited them because as a result of the scandal, some of the bigger players in world football, they wanted to dissociate themselves with the Serie A. So 30 big players left Serie A after that season as they yeah. didn't want to be associated with the league where the integrity of referees was in question. Meaning that when Juventus got back to the Serie A, um, they're still a strong team who who arrived in a weekend league. Yeah, so they, they basically, they basically like, um, uh, they weakened their their opponents basically because this this whole thing made a uh, big like questioning of like Italy as a football country in general, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All all the, the whole like the whole league and everything got questioned for is it, is this even a serious league uh, and all of those things. But then to continue on, um, yeah, you know, in the oh nine ten season they finished seventh, but then in two thousand ten that was a massive year. And that's when Andrea Agnelli arrives and takes over from Giovanni Caboli Gigli as a new chairman. Five plus name. <laughs> and as all Italian names. Caboli. Um, <laughs> and what he did, I mean, first of all, he inaugurated a new stadium and also crucially brought in the lesser known manager in Antonio Conte for the 11-12 season. After Conte had just won promotion with his team Siena from Serie A to Serie B. And that was also like, they, they went from like maybe one of the most one of the worst stadiums in Italy and also one of the worst stadiums for like a big team in Europe. Stadio dell'Alpi was a... It was a shit. Uh, terrifying stadium. Actually, Torino, they are still playing there, I think. And it's... Uh, you know, they, they don't... It's not a tide at all. They got all these like tracks. So you don't like... You don't stay like close to the to the, to the the pitch. Oh, and uh, then they also like went for... Um, Antonio Conte, he was a big player in Juventus. 
previously. He was yeah, massive. Like, yeah, he was a massive player, but he hadn't been like so experienced in uh, in Italian football before he went there. So it was it was quite a bold bold movement for them to to hire him. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't he, he'd only been in Serie B, right? Yeah, exactly. as a coach. So it was a, it was a big move. Yeah. B- huge statement for Magnelli, but yeah. it paid off, you have to say. Um I I feel like it was kind of no like uh comparisons uh in other ways, but I I think that this was like kind of le- the thing with Barca did with Guardiola. It was like basically, but there's been a few um few uh, like tries with these type of things when you like a really good player, like often a midfielder, uh, and then you take them from a smaller team or from the B team, and then you take them up to the to the first team. And Guardiola was like the perfect example yeah, of when true. he succeeded. Antonio Conte is actually a great one. Well, you also have like uh, Frank Lampard. Uh, it was too early for him. You got like several that went on and became coaches too fast. You have to say that Agnelli, he did restore Juventus to greatness. They won nine Serie A's in a row, yeah. three with Antonio Conte. Five with Allegri and then one with Sari. Yeah. As well as four Coppa Italias and a few Super Coppa Italianas in the mix. And they were they were pretty much a model club, at least until two thousand eighteen. At least nationally. Yeah. I mean that's the type of, you know, club that you'd aspire to be Definitely. to some extent, you know, Definitely. the way that was run. And they've always had the mindset of live ahead, right? If you look at their social media, it's always like live ahead. Yeah. They're a club at the forefront. Um and I mean, the way they've broken up teams and rebuilt them to stay successful. They launched a new crest in 2017 to appeal to Generation Z. They welcomed Netflix and then Amazon behind closed doors. And they also got behind the idea of the Super League. And they, they were like pretty like, you know, in, in England, there's been like, we've been talking about it previously, like American, o- American owners, they've been like into this whole thing for quite a while. Um, but in Italy, I, I don't feel that this has been the same thing. So they were like pretty much doing what n- no other teams were doing in in Italy you know they invested in a new stadium um they did the whole thing with Netflix Amazon um they got behind the idea of Super League changed the crest so so they were basically doing what no other team in Italy was were doing yeah they were living ahead yeah so they were yeah. definitely like adapting itself to to what was coming future future things to come and i read there's a quote that Andrea Agnelli is a big fan of and that's change before you have to yeah, you don't um, want to, you want to lead, not follow. Right? Yeah, um, and that's a quote from Jack Welch, who's a former CEO and chairman of General Electric, who's yeah. uh, someone who Agnelli looks up to. But like I said, they dominated Italian football, but they weren't as successful as Agnelli would have liked in Europe. I no. mean, Allegri brought them to two Champions League finals, but there was a worry about their Champions League performance, so he made two big decisions. One was he felt like they needed to change the playstyle, and the second one was bringing in Cristiano Ronaldo. That was basically from going to. Um, being able to um, to like dominate in Italy to be able to um, perform in Europe. Exactly. That was basically like the two decisions that they did, I would say. The play style was obviously working out really well. Yeah, I mean, in, nine, in Italy. Nine yeah. Scudetto you, in a row. Exactly. You, you can't like complain on like how they performed nationally. But I think they understood here that they, they needed to, to change something in order to, to be successful in Europe. 100%. And then they brought in Mauricio Sarri, who's like a proper system manager. Also like a hot, hot, like... Hot property. Hot, hot property in Italy by, by the time. You know, like... Uh, He's been doing great stuff in Empoli. Yeah. Uh, you know, taking the small team from like Serie C to Serie A. Exactly. Uh, and, and things, so... Like with very specific ideas of what your team should do in and out of possession. But the transition, you know, from Allegri to Sarri wasn't handled too well. I mean, he was able to bring in some players he wanted, like Delict, but a lot of players like Ronaldo, Rabio, Ramsey didn't really suit the Sarri style of play. 
I mean, they won Scudetto, but they were knocked out of the Champions League in the round of 16, which was why he was brought in, you know, to win that. So he was let go, and then they brought in Andrea Pirlo. <laughs> Talk, while we're talking about mid midfielders came directly from the, yeah. team, from the U teams <laughs> that like weren't a, successful. He's now coaching in, in Turkey. Uh, oh, I is think he? it's Fatih Karagumruk. Fatih Kar- was it? Fatih Karagumruk. Okay. Interesting. That's, that's not something, that's not a team that you hear about every day. Yeah, not so, at all. I think they have like Italian owners and stuff. So they mm-hmm. have like quite many players like from Italy. So that that's why they hired him. But it's not the same team, not the same like uh, fame yeah. <laughs> as Juventus got. I mean, so, definitely a downgrade. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, he was, he was even more progressive, but things didn't really work out with him. Even no. though, I mean, if you look at the expected goals and so on, he actually, he actually got quite unlucky. But either way, it didn't work out and they were nowhere near the level they needed to be. No. And I mean, then they also bought Cristiano Ronaldo, right? And even though his stats were amazing, he scored over 100 goals, or I think it might have been exactly 100. Yeah, and I think he actually scored like exactly 100 yeah. during his three seasons yeah, which in is, North Italia. Which is insane. I mean, he was brought in to win the Champions League, and that didn't happen, right? So you can't yeah. say it was a success on the field. And off the field, of course, with the wage structure, I mean, compared to their rivals in Syria, they're way ahead of them. 2021... Their wages were 323 million euros compared to Inter with 262 and AC Milan with 170, right? So they're yeah. way above. And Juve was kind of a comfortable club to be at for players, right? You're making top dollar. Yeah. But the issue is when you bring in system managers, they often need new players to suit that new system. And that becomes difficult because when you have players like Ronaldo who pushes up the wage structure, yeah. then you could argue that they kind of shot themselves in the foot. They weren't able to be as flexible as they wanted to and refresh the squad to get the most out of these system-based managers. Exactly. Because the system-based managers, for them, a player that is not like well-known and maybe not like the best football in the world, but they might be the best suitable player for that specific role in that specific system. Exactly. And that is um, why I think Cristiano Ronaldo, um, why it wasn't a match in the long term, but I also think it's the same thing with uh, Eric Ten Hag. I think you can also say or argue that he's a system manager. Yeah. Would you say? Yeah, yeah, you could argue that for sure. Yeah, I think no. it's the same thing for him. Yeah. Someone who isn't is someone like Ancelotti. Right? Exactly. Like, I don't even know. When I think of an Ancelotti team, nothing comes to mind. No, exactly. Like, for example, like Benzema. How can I make him the best possible version of Benzema? The same thing with Vinicius. So I would say, actually, they are... You can argue that maybe they are more talented in that way. But mm-hmm. You can also, like, argue that these system managers are really like good at um, not having the best players, but still achieve greatness. Couldn't agree more. But um, we talked previously about the Calciopoli word. And the, the first thing I saw was like someone, you know, tweeting oh, Calciopoli 2.0. This is happening all over again. Italy is a shit country. Shouldn't watch Serie A. And I was like, man, it can't, it can't be that easy, right? This, this, this is definitely not the same thing. This is completely different. It's a financial story about how a club listed on the stock exchange reported their financial results. It's about player trading and payroll. It's about how the club acted and reacted to financial pressures and particularly around making transfers and principally due to the pandemic. Yeah. Right? A lot of this was maneuvering salaries and so on related to the pandemic. So it's totally yeah. different from paying off referees to make you know, decisions in their favor. Exactly. Exactly. So so it's not as culturally 2.0. Completely different. Yeah, for those of you who think like I don't, I don't want to watch the Italian league no more and so on, don't think that way because this is only like, as you say, an economic uh, thing for this massive club. They are owned by a what, what do you say? It's a company, Exor. Yeah, so it's a conglomerate where Juve are a portfolio company of Exor. 
mm-hmm. and XR is worth 33 billion euros as of last year, which is just massive and had revenues yeah. of 136 billion euros. So Re- Juventus is actually a pretty small part of that portfolio and are in essence pocket change on the balance sheet compared to some of their car businesses, um, yeah. which are companies like Ferrari or Stellantis. Stellantis was the result of the 2021 merger between Fiat Chrysler and the PSA Group. Yeah, exactly. Because I know that Fiat has been like a huge part of Juventus' history. I know, I know that back in the days when the players, when they weren't like uh, making that much money, they worked like at Fiat. They're like foreign oh, really? players and so on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah, so they were like working and you know making these Fiats. So that was like a no thing way. that they had. <laughs> they played in Juventus and then they built the Fiats. Damn. So that was like kind of thing how they got the club like running and how they could like pay off. No their, way. Their players. Oh, I didn't know They're, that. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. But then, yeah, interestingly enough, you know, I mentioned Ferrari. Yeah. And for those who follow F1, the team principal at Ferrari, who's called Mattia Bonotto, he also resigned last week. So, you know, oh. there's some talk about, oh, are these two things related? Oh. Um, so that's a little bit... Be a coincidence. I'm not into F- F1 at all, but that seems pretty strange. Yeah, right? Like in the same week. So that was yeah. pretty interesting. Um, and the guy Something who- is going on at Ferrari. Yeah, right. <laughs> Might as well be. Yeah, and um, I mean, literally, the guy who is chief executive right now at Juve, he's called Maurizio Arrivabene. Um, he was also the former Ferrari team principal. He's actually staying on to manage the transition. It kind of shows there's been quite a lot of crossover between Ferrari and Juventus, yeah. which is quite interesting. But yeah, I mean, w- within this conglomerate, XOR, I mean, there's also, they have the media group Getty, and they're the group behind international newspapers like The Economist, and Italian ones like La Repubblica and La Stampa. So yeah. it's a massive group. I mean, yeah. so many companies. The Economist are a huge newspaper. I mean, I love them. Like, yeah, and also the La Repubblica and La Stampa, uh, they're like one of the biggest, two of the biggest newspapers in Italy, basically. So yeah, huge. it's like huge uh, that they are part of this whole like conglomerate. And Exor is controlled by the Agnelli family. Um, and is led by John Elkan, who yeah. is Andrea Agnelli's cousin. So he's he's basically like part Italian. I never heard a guy who's like part Italian with such an un-Italian name. Yeah, right. <laughs> John Elkan. John Elkan. Um, I never guessed that guy has like, uh, that he he has like family from Italy. I yeah, never, yeah. never guessed that. But it shows how, you know, how massive, um, how powerful the Agnelli family is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely, they they feel like they in, in a way like own Italy, huge parts of Italy at least, and that's always like been the thing with with like Italy and the ownership structure. You know, Silvio Berlusconi was for many years um, the owner of AC Milan during their like big um, big period. Mm. Um, so it's always like been like pretty like politically driven the football clubs and so on. So so I, I'm not I'm not surprised. That uh, that Agnelli family they own quite many things in Italy and what, outside. Yeah, exactly, and outside, and also that like they run one of the biggest clubs in Italy, the biggest club. Well, maybe you uh, were like me saying that. <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't say though. I wouldn't say though because like me in Milan is a bigger like city and it's a bigger, bigger brand like, as well. Yeah, bigger. Or brand. What would you say AC Milan? Would you say that's a bigger brand than Juventus? Yeah, I, I would say they have, and I also think that me, Milan has a bigger one than Inter. Actually, I mm. would say this like. If it comes to like brand, I would say I'm guessing that I'm guessing that uh, Milan is one, Juventus second, and Inter third, and then you have like Roma on fourth, maybe yeah, Napoli, probably. Napoli on fifth or mm. fourth. But I mean, I think it's important that we also dig into these investigations. So I think I'll just give a little bit of context to that. So this time last year, Juventus was undergoing its second capital raising in three years. 
And in order to stabilize the company finances in the wake of the pandemic, they issued new shares for a total of 700 million euros. And these capital increases were underwritten by Exor. And since they're listed on the Euronext, Juventus are obliged to disclose that the club was subject to an inspection by Italy's financial regulator, Consob, over, quote, revenues from players' registration rights. Yeah. So the Italian Football Federation, the FIGC, received a report from Covisoc, another watchdog monitoring Italian football, outlining 62 deals over the previous two years. Mm. 42 of these included Juventus, with the most high-profile one involving the trade of Pjanic for Arthur Mello of Barcelona. Yeah, I always thought it was something fishy about about that like transfer. That's a dodgy one. That. Yeah, I felt like quite random. Why would like Barca uh, get like Pjanic... He was like a bit old, you know, I felt like he was kind of like done. Yeah. Done, he had peaked and then he uh, gave away Arthur Mello. Strange one. Yeah. Strange one. I felt it was a strange transfer. Totally agree. Yeah. And then, yeah, 32 of these 62 also went under the radar because they involved youth players, right? right? Which people don't really care about too much. So that was like really like such a bad thing to do, like to involve like young players in these type of like dodgy things you do. Yeah, right. <laughs> Their transfers. But then, yeah, in April, the FIGC cleared Juventus and 10 other clubs of any wrongdoing. Um, and the case was undermined as it was based on the very popular but unofficial website Transfer Marks for player evaluations. But at the same time, there was a more serious case going on called Prisma, which was launched by the Public Prosecutor's Office of the Court of Turin. And Prisma was the one that brought allegations of false accounting, false financial statements and market manipulation. Yeah, so what happened was essentially that a search and seizure warrant was obtained by the public prosecutor's office in Turin. What they did was they authorized the Guardia de Finanza, who were the police force responsible for investigating financial affairs in Italy, to raid the club's training grounds in Continassa and Vinovo and their offices in Turin and Milan. Yeah. Um, so here, 16 people were placed under investigation, including Agnelli, Vice President Pavel Nedved, and their former chief football officer, Fabio Paratici. Who, who is actually is actually the sporting director now in uh, Tottenham. Yeah. He, he was the one bringing in Antonio Conte. Uh, he, he transferred over Romero, Dejan Kulusevski, uh, Rodrigo Bentenko. Exactly. Uh, so, I mean, as a scout, he's top-notch. Yeah, Paratici. Uh, incredible. Great, great, great man and great, like, football knowledge. Uh, incredible. Uh, he's shown that also in, uh, in, in Tottenham. He's... Uh, there, yeah, he's doing so well there when it comes to the transfers and, yeah, yeah. and, and stuff. Yeah, I mean, the signings have been pretty so spot on. Ta talented football man, I must say. Uh, no doubt, no doubt. But then, yeah, last month, Juve they issued a statement denying any wrongdoing as well. And the case is in general focused on the financial results of 2019, 20, and 21. And after looking over the books, they found a massive discrepancy. Um, essentially, the arrangements made with players throughout the pandemic were one of the key highlights. And according to the inv investigators, the players only waived one month income. But back in March 2020, the club released a statement saying the club would save 90 million after players agreed a wage cut equivalent to four months. So not one month. Yeah. Essentially what happened was markets were misled by the club's statement. Yeah. I don't know if it's, it's called the same thing in English, but it's called per permitteringar, you say in Swedish. Permittance. I don't know if it's the same thing in, in, uh, in English, but that was what they did during COVID also. Mm. Yeah. They let people like work less and do and uh, get uh, lower wages. Yeah, yeah, I know you're talking about. What's the English word for that again? Help Fur us furlough. out here. Furlough, I think. Furlough, okay. Yeah, okay. furlough is a word. Good, yeah. good word to know. <laughs> All right, <laughs> but essentially, these salary maneuvers I just mentioned and the loyalty bonuses are essentially at the heart of Prisma. And there was also a wiretap of a convo with the recruitment executive Federico Cherubini, 
and um, a former member of the legal team, Cesar de Gabasio, regarding Ronaldo. So this is something that was recorded by the police, where they said they'll jump down our throats if a certain carta secreta, aka secret document, comes out. Yeah, you know. So when they have wiretaps, then you often know. Okay, this is this could be quite dodgy for sure. Do you know what I mean? For sure, for sure. And what do you think is up next then? What do you, what do you think will will happen to Juventus after this uh, this uh, big bang actually happen? I mean, right now it seems like the chief executive Maurizio Arriva Bene is staying on um, just mm. to handle the transition, and they've also announced a new general manager called Maurizio Scanavino. He previously led the media group Getty. Yeah. But then now when we're thinking about punishments and so on, you know, what can happen as a result of this, it depends on if Prisma finds any breaches and if the FIGC reopen the case or decide to start a separate one. But essentially, depending on what they find, once the investigation is done, I think Juventus could be at risk of a fine or a points penalty under Article 31 of the country's code of sporting justice if FIGC finds, you know, finds it is something against these. I mean, a points penalty, and this could be, you know, retrospective for the last either season 19, 20 or 21, or maybe this season or maybe even next one. But I do think after 12 years of Agnelli, I think the speed at which they've decided to name a successor and just the speed at which the board has resigned, I do think it is a little bit sus and does perhaps suggest that something big is coming. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely think that um, things going on here. I don't. I don't see here that this would just like. I, I think this would change things in uh, in Juventus. I think there would be like maybe the new board might might change things. Uh, I mean, Max Allegri hasn't been that successful uh, lately. Mm. So maybe they will come a new coach. You have a f- fantastic coach, in my opinion, uh, Thomas Tuchel, who's actually he he's unemployed at the moment, and there's been lo- some links about him mm. in Juventus. I think if he go to Juve, I think it would be a a great match. I think that he could do massive things. Yeah, he could, he could so, do a good job there. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if um, if, uh, if something like that happened. That would mm. be like a total total like um, new new manager, new playing style, um, new players, and sort of that thing. I, I think things are going on in you in at Juve. They they want to be at top. They want to win the the Serie A soon again. They need it. Yeah, know, given the status of that club. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, I think. I know. I think you know. Considering Agnelli was about to celebrate 100 years of the family ownership, it does seem a bit sus. You know why now, right? It makes you think. Okay, something big is going to happen. Yeah. Um, you know who knows? It might be Elkan who wants to get his cousin out and bring in some new blood. Yeah. But I mean, doing it now, you know, they could have made a nice PR story where they come out saying, "Oh, you know, Agnelli did a phenomenal job here, but it's time to change it up. 100 years of the Agnelli family. He's going to go on and work at Ferrari or one of the other extra portfolio companies." But when you do it like this, you know, it does maybe make you think that a bomb is coming. Yeah. I think th- basically this is a way to like make people talk about Juve, don't you think? And also like, I think that what, with uh, what you uh, mentioning previously with like the club, you know, getting this Netflix documentary, the Amazon thing, changing the crest. I think that Juve, they, they, I, I think also they like, they want to create drama. They want to create like, they want to be a club that are mentioned a lot. There are like, on people's lips all yeah. the time, so so I definitely think also that it might be a bit of a strategy here uh, for like to 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 like raise interest of the club. Um, maybe they might have a point. I mean, there's yeah. a famous quote: "All publicity is good publicity." Yeah, I work with in PR, so <laughs> so that is that's an oldie but oldie but in goldie. Yeah, for um, sure. But I I agree. I agree. Uh, there's ne- never 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 like bad. 
to get a lot of mentions if it's not like ca- catastrophic headlines. Yeah. Interesting to see what will happen to this. Yeah, let's see what happens. But most likely, I mean, the worst case scenario, it's some type of point deductions going back. Who knows? Maybe they get stripped off a title, the Sari title um, yeah. in 20, what was it, 19? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe they get stripped of that. Maybe some transfer ban from UEFA, depending on you know what UEFA find. I think that that could be that could be a thing. Yeah, transfer ban or you know blocks from participating in a UEFA competition. But relegation, I think, is doubtful. Yeah, and I I don't think it's in in that way. It would be like more if they like try to like affect referees and trying to like do those type of things. I don't think that they uh, they will go down to the Serie B. No. I don't think so. Not not in this case. No, I wouldn't say so. It'd be like so many big clubs in the world also having like economic struggles. So you think like uh, Atletico Madrid, exactly. uh, like also like quite many of the English clubs also. Yeah. Uh, as we talked about previous week, Manchester United are in big depths and stuff like that. So I don't think, no, nah, I don't think they're going down. Yeah, me neither. A lot of the actions they took were to, you know, cope with the pandemic. Exactly. And they did that terribly. Yeah. They will most probably get punished for it. But I don't think they will. It will affect affect like the sporting that much on on the pitch. Let's yeah. see. But it'll be interesting. interesting to follow it. This is kind of only the beginning. Let's see what what else comes out over the next weeks or months. Yeah, and this is always like a thing with you and me. You know, we 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 like we love football. We love um, the the game that actually goes on on the field, be inside the white lines on For the sure. grass. But we also love all these like behind stories. So. So um, for those of you who like this, you will hear more about it. And for those of you who are more into like tactics and so on, you can definitely learn things from here also because the modern football is like so so affected on what is going on on a company level, basically. So from both me and you, you we, I mean, I work within PR, you work within like... Fintech. Uh, yeah, Fintech and so on. We, we're also like really interested in like organizations, how everything works, how how processes are run and sort of those type of things. So so we will we were actually talking about previously um, before this uh, episode started that we will uh, make these type of uh, uh, theme episodes that we might drop like only on this uh, specific topic that is uh, getting talked about a lot at the moment and so on. We have a few like really interesting topics and uh, you will you will see it soon in your podcast feed. If you follow us, rate us with five stars. And tell all your friends about us because that that is what we um, what we love you guys to do. Exactly. Right? But should we talk a little bit about the ongoing World Cup? Bro, in, let's do it in Qatar. Vamos. And the quarterfinals. Now the round of sixteen. Yeah, the I round mean, of sixteen. Round of sixteen uh, started. Yeah. Uh, actually, well, well, first of all, I think we just have to. Say something about the insane last round of group games. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about it. Um, yeah, that was ridiculous. I yeah. feel like every evening, each game, things were topping and turning all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember those. You know, what was it? Five minutes. Those five magical minutes where both Spain and Germany were going out. That was insane. And it was Japan and Costa Rica going through. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I love about this sport. You know, and like also in like World Cups, there can be like so many surprises. You know, the smaller teams can win over the bigger teams. And that is actually a, a really nice thing about football as a sport. It, it it's never, it's never you you never hundred a hundred percent certain on winning, even though you are the big favorite. Uh, David can can always beat Goliath in, Mate, the, in, for in sure. football. So so that is what I uh, truly love about the sport, also. Hey, and that's actually something I want to talk about in one of our future episodes: analytics and um, probabilities in sport. 
you know, there's a pretty famous quote in football yeah. that goes, the league table never lies. In football, it actually does lie quite a lot compared to all the sports. Yeah. And that's because in essence, football is a quite random game. Football is a low scoring sport with an average of, you know, 2.8 goals per game compared to basketball with 200. And the principle is that the fewer goals there are in a sport, the more impact random events such as, um, you know, the ball getting deflected and spinning into the net, ref making a wrong call, the more that happens. Meaning that in football, the best team wins less often than in almost all other sports. Yeah. Like basketball, like tennis. Um. Yeah, oft, often there, you feel like statistics is such a big thing. And that is also like increasing in, in, in world football. You can it's see like, huge. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You can see like the moneyball perspective that many, many clubs use. Uh, for example, Brentford, uh, Midtjylland. That's something I want to talk about. Yeah, definitely, the definitely. Whole, the whole Brentford Midtjylland story. Yeah, um, huge, huge success story about like how a guy who was like basically like one of the best at he was like amazing at football manager, I think. And then he like when when he owned like when he started to own Brentford, he he was doing like. He, I think he like did some of his scouting through Football Manager. Actually, he was like using the statistics from there and so on. The thing about him, his name is Matthew Benham. He is essentially a gambler. He is like an Oxford graduate in physics, and he set yeah. up his own betting syndicate in London, where what he had was a group of PhDs calculating probabilities of outcome of games, and he made so much money off that enough to buy his favorite childhood club, Brentford. It's crazy, yeah. crazy story, right? <laughs> and at that time, Brentford were in League One. Um, yeah. I can remember seeing this guy called Rasmus Angersen, who's uh, yeah. he was a chairman of FC Michelin. Yeah, he might still be either way, but he, yeah, he worked quite closely with Matthew Benham. Yeah, and yeah, he's he's the one who convinced Matthew Benham to buy FC Michelin because that was Rasmus Angersen's favorite club. And I remember he was talking. He said he was talking to Matthew Benham one day, one time. They were watching Brentford, and he said, he asked him, "Do you think Brentford are going to be promoted?" Matthew Benham answered, "Right now, there's actually a 38 percent chance that we get promoted. So no." Yeah, <laughs> such such a like statistic perspective yeah, on football. It's crazy, insane. crazy. Insane. Can you can you tell us a bit now? Now we're getting into this, but uh, like Midtjylland is from a town called Herning, I think. Yeah, it's like a super small village, right? Yeah, I mean, there was Midtjylland had never won a league title now nah. um, before he came, before he bought them in 2014. And the next season, they win, they win the Danish League. Yeah. And the season after that, they beat Manchester United in the Europa League. Yeah. So it's just an <laughs> incredible story. Yeah. And we, we should actually tell uh, tell the listeners also, for those of you who don't know, you, you've lived in Denmark, in Copenhagen, for, for, for quite a few years. It's actually like part of where you grew up. Um, so, so we have also like maybe some plans to go actually to Denmark. For sure. Because we, we have like so many, I think there's so many interesting things going on in that country. Um, yeah, maybe, shit ton, shit ton. Yeah, they 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 didn't perform that well in the World Cup, actually. Yeah, very underwhelming. Yeah, but but still, like so many interesting things going on there. So that's actually also a plan. We actually we actually plan to like leave Sweden to to record rep, uh, to record episodes of this podcast. So that's on the horizon. Yeah, we'll have video then as well. Yeah, exactly. You'll also be able to see see our pretty faces. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta cut my hair every single week you know, to always look 100% fresh. Can't right. go there with ugly ass haircut. Like, like these footballers do. Yeah, exactly. Do like every every second day. Literally before every game. Yeah, exactly. How, how did we end up here actually? We um, we talked about, <sighs> I don't know, we were talking about one of the World Cup yeah. groups. And then, um, and then I mentioned like 
something um, regarding regarding like the moneyball perspective. Yeah, ah, whatever. But yeah, either way, let's move on to the knockout. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Started off with the Netherlands beating the USNA, uh, which was actually it's quite embarrassing. Actually, you could actually tell uh, by this game how. <laughs> Uh, how far you, the U.S. have to walk before they are even close to one of the maybe one of the biggest nations in Europe? It's like they are they're so far far ahead. <laughs> they it was actually quite painful to see because you know you know I've been hyping the U.S. quite much and I think like they've been like so many interesting thing go, things going on for the nat- that national team. But I think it also was like painful to see the former Hammarby uh, coach Greg Beerhalter. Um, uh, oh, was he at Hammerby? Yeah, he was at Hammerby. Mm-hmm. It was actually his first. Like, he ended his career and was like one year as a, as an assistant coach in uh, in LA Galaxy, where he ended his career. So he was actually playing with David Beckham, and then he went to Hammerby for a few seasons, and then he was at Columbus Crew, and then he, I think, he has coached um, coached the US na- men's national team since uh, 2018. And yeah. I, I think you could see here that he's he's not a tactical genius. If yeah. But he, he seems like a great guy. Yeah, but you know sure. he, he he's not a tactical uh, tactical animal. I wouldn't say no. I was talking to my friend Freddie, and he yeah. was Freddie was watching my the man's. game exactly. Freddie was watching the game with the U.S. commentators. Yeah, and he said the U.S. commentators were already saying this U.S. team is something they've never seen before. How the U.S. You're com- right though. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, they haven't seen anything like that before. Yeah, you, you can say but, that. Yeah, but they were getting a bit overhyped and uh, yeah. saying that. You know, saying that this is exactly what the Dutch team wanted. They d- they didn't they didn't want an open match with the U.S. because they know that's a battle they'll lose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing with the, with the Americans. I think they, I admire the way they look at themselves, but they always think of they're ahead of everyone in the world. And uh, I also saw like this one like quite funny tweet. The only the only time the U.S. went to the uh, uh, Middle East without getting getting anything to bring back home. Oof. I read something about that. It's kind of like in a 50-50 one yeah. that you can say in this podcast. We don't want to get too into politics yeah, in this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was like quite quite funny actually. And it's also like um I, I remember this like this classic clip when there is someone like selling Christian Pulisic mm. his uh, Chelsea shirt. I think it's like signed and shit. And it's like on this uh, US show. And uh, there is like a collector. LeBron James of soccer. Yeah, exactly. And then he says like, ah, Christian Pulisic, he's basically basically like the LeBron James of soccer. <laughs> and then everyone's like laughing at like, LeBron James of soccer? Do they even know the sport at all? So I think that is the thing for them. They see like Christian Pulisic as the LeBron James of soccer. They see like, um, you know, um, Timothy Villar as the best a uh, young winger in Europe. They see Tyler Adams as the best midfielder in the Premier Premiership. They see Junos Musa as the best Spanish league midfielder. They see Western McKinney as the best midfielder in the Serie A. I think that's the way, like how they look at their players. But that's, that's not the the truth. Yeah, you know? I no think that they are like overhyping their players. But they got a decent squad. Yeah, they do. They do. And I think they got something interesting going on. But I think that they will maybe in like a few years' time they will maybe be able to be the ones who get to the quarterfinals yeah. in like a World Cup. Yeah, I think so. I think they can be uh, one of the teams, not the teams that will go, you know, to the semifinals or stuff like that, but actually a team who can like challenge the big ones. Yeah. It can be a hard team to beat. And uh, when they met, when they faced the Netherlands, I think that they showed for 10 minutes in the beginning that they were a good team. Uh, otherwise than that, they, they were struggling and it was uh, uh, embarrassing to see. 
and that, that they actually managed to score. It was only pure luck, right? That was one of the luckiest goals I've ever seen. I don't know how he can try that. I think two thousand times he'll only yeah he won't he won't do it again. No, exactly. He will, he will only score once in, in that type of finishing. So uh, so bye bye to the USNA and uh, they have to they have to um, now rebuild their squad for the twenty twenty six World Cup. And then we had Argentina who who beat into Socceroos. Soccer soccer was not successful that evening. Mate. It wasn't a good day for soccer. <laughs> no, nah, it wasn't a good day for soccer. And for those who Thank hate God. hate the word hate the word soccer, I think all of them were they were really happy with this uh, results for sure. And and something I have to say, just the Argentine fans, yeah. and they're incredible. Yeah, unbelievable. And I yeah. love I love some of the songs they were singing. Um, yeah, because the the fan the fan thing has been like quite a big thing also that they they have been like. Uh, saying that all the stadiums have been full like all the time, but it hasn't been it hasn't been a thing. It's been like guest workers mm. who's basically been standing in lines, and uh, when other people are leaving the stadium, they come in and uh, watch these big World Cup games. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So that is how they like fill their stadiums with like guest workers who who get the chance to watch mm. like maybe twenty minutes of the ending of the ending of the games because I, I think I saw like yesterday like in, in the England game there was like this guest work with a French flag you know because he he was supporting fr- uh, France mm. but he came into England uh, Senegal instead but he he didn't care about that he he was waving his French fla- flag mm. even though <laughs> even though they were not even um they was not even in the game that he he was watching mm, interesting so so yeah but something that they were saying on Swedish TV was for the first game against Saudi Arabia, yep. the Argentine Federation, they didn't want to send over any of their kind of hardcore fans. Yeah. I forgot what they're called. Um, but it was like, you know, the kind of, the guys who are more like hooligan. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. So they didn't have any of the those. violent fans. Yeah, the more, you know, the, the rough guys, right? Yeah, yeah. But then they realized, okay, guys, we need a little bit more support, right? So yeah. they, they flew over thousands of oh, their hardcore fans damn. for the next game against Mexico. And, and those guys are there now. Right, so yeah. now they ha- they have a way more vocal. Um, and that shows actually. So sometimes I can be like frustrated with like the fans and what they actually what they do. Mm-hmm. You know that they are sometimes you know uh, fighting and you know making scenes and stuff. But it shows how important it is with fans in football. It's so important for the yeah. game. Yeah, so important for people to like sing, empowering the game for uh, sure, and giving energy to the players. It's amazing. I think that also, I also think that the Argentinians, they, they benefit a lot of their fans. Yeah, they're, they're such passionate people. Yeah. Like, I think of Argentina, I think... You see it on the pitch too. Yeah, mate, for sure. Like, it feels like uh, Argentina is a spiritual home of football. Yeah. One of them, but one of the big spiritual homes of football. Yeah. They're just like so passionate down there. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to go to, what's the stadium called? La Bombonera, La Bombonera or whatever. River played Boca Juniors. Yeah, mate, that, that's something on the bucket list. Yeah, definitely, definitely. We, we, we have to do that one day. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Is that is that the game, if you could go to one game, if you have like, um, if someone would say to you, like, here you go, you have free tickets to any game in the world, which one would you go to? That's <sighs> it. That's a tough one. I mean, me and you, we've been through United Liverpool, which was yeah. an amazing experience. It was, but it was I, I it was not the same, uh, same like... It's not the same passion as, that, as you'd expect at no. La Bombonera. No, um, exactly. Yeah, that actually, that might be one of them. Yeah, um, I think, I think probably so Probably, actually. I think that would be actually the game also, the game I would go to also, because it's not like, you know, Europe, you can do these trips. Yeah. You can go to like an El Clasico. Yeah, yeah exactly. Know. I mean, I was at the Madrid derby in September. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit easier to go to these big European games. Yeah, exactly. But in a different continent. Yeah. Well, actually, it it um, I'm more attracted to like the Argentinian big games rather than the Brazilian. 
Yeah. You know, to go to like Cruzeiro against Flamingo. Mm. I don't have the, like the same like, you know, or like Santos versus Grimio. I don't feel the same way. Like, oh, I want to go to watch. I want to go watch the game. Yeah. Yeah. Neither do I. But it was like Newell's old boys, River Plate, Rosario, Boca Juniors, mm. all of these teams. I like love to go and watch a game. Yeah, same here. So, so yeah, definitely. Right at up. We're, For sure. We're going to Argentina one day. Another game that actually that I would maybe mention mention on that on that list is actually Old Firm. Even though the football is not that the quality is not massive, but still, you know, also like the passion, the historical things about all the uh, about the city, you know, the I think the uh, Celtic fans are ca- Catholics and mm. then you have the Rangers fans who are Protestants. For sure. Yeah. And then they're, you know, meeting in a football derby. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's a cool game too. So maybe that one in Europe, if I could say like one uh, that I would like to go to, which is not like the obvious one you'd pick. Like for example, the old, old, uh, El Clasico or uh, Derby d'Italia or Bayern Dortmund or something. But it's more of a, more of a random game, but still yeah. like really interesting. Yeah, same. Another guy that I would love to see live on a football field uh, is Kylian Mbappe. He's a bad player. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. That young man, he can play football, right? It's tough to argue against him not being the best in the world. Yeah. I think so too. I, I think I think that he, he he must leave PSG though. I would yeah. love to see him in a in a bigger league. You know, because it's always the French games, you, you forget about him. I mean, you didn't even watch them. No, exactly. Uh-huh. That's the thing. You watch him in the in the in the national team and Champions in P- and Champions League when PSG are playing. You want to see him? I'd love to basis. see him in in La Liga or or the Premier, Premier League. League. Right, Real. I mean, I love Real fans. I was speaking to my two boys, Ivan and Danny, in the summer. Yeah. They were talking about, and uh, I don't want Mbappe at Real now after what he did. You know, he promised us he's going to come, and then he didn't. But now, I mean. <laughs> They're stupid uh, if they say no to him now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and they might regret it. I mean, how, how can you not take a guy like nah, that? Exactly. Right? And also like him, you know, having Zidane as his biggest idol and he was doing filthy things in uh, in Real Madrid. I think he still um, ends up there. Yeah, within yeah the next, definitely. Within definitely. the next two, three seasons. I think so too. And I if think, not, he I goes think to the early, Earlier than that. Mm. I think we go there earlier than that. Yeah. Uh, sure. I mean, there's been talk about him wanting to leave already now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like in January. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he mm. did though. Yeah, but yeah. Um, the finishing on the second goal uh, and the finishing on the first goal. The first goal is actually pretty, it's actually sicker because the f- the second one is like you've seen goals like that from him before, mm. but the way he finished off this first one was like uh, I'm so surprised. I I've, I I was like so impressed with like the way he was like hitting the ball with um with such like power um and also f- um like placements and like how where to place the ball yeah, yeah. at the same time. And no one expecting him to go there. No, exactly. So I think the France, they look really good. And I also feel like there's a lot of like harmony within the group. Yeah, so I think sure. they might they might be dangerous in this tournament. Yeah, they will uh, be. I mean, England-France is going to be a spicy one. Yeah, because England, they, um, they won over uh, Senegal yesterday evening. Um, did Were you impressed with them? I was. I mean, yeah. they started off. They looked a bit, a little bit nervous. Yeah, the first, I, first I, half I, didn't, hour. I didn't think they they looked well at all. The first like half hour. Yeah, half hour. at all. But then you know, Bellingham yeah. put the team on his back. Actually, I was like shouting at home, like pass the ball, pass the ball. And then I thought, uh, I thought like uh, Foden's pass to Kane. It wasn't the best one, 
But I thought Kane, he managed the ball pretty uh, really well and then he just struck it in. So I think it was actually a goal that I, I, I was like quite frustrated while watching it because I thought that it could be like maybe um, smoother mm. in their passing. But it shows also like how talented these players are. And also like how... But because that's the thing with uh, I think now that the players feel so like focused. They don't do. Agree? Yeah, they f- they feel like they they don't because of, often in my opinion England has been like um, affected on what's going on around mm-hmm. the field. You know, with media, there've been scandals, there've been like this big injury. Like there's always been like an injury on like the big player. Yeah, uh, and they've always been you know Wayne Rooney getting back to f- uh, to to fitness, David Beckham getting back after an injury, mm. and so on. Michael Owen, I think he's done the same thing with him. Um, so right now it feels like also like the group. There's like so many talented players. They're not like depending on like one particular star. And if they are, I was maybe argued that the the one star that they depend on is Harry Kane. And yeah, Harry Kane so. is mm-hmm. like the most humble captain, the most humble MVP a team can have, basically. So, so I think also that that benefits England a lot. Yeah, true. That even though he he hasn't he didn't score until this game, he's been like super positive, you know, fighting in the same way. Um, also, like uh, showing showing his uh, teammates um, that he he still he will run, he will do all the things that he do, even though he's not on the score sheet, mm. because he said like. My team is score. We win the games. I'm happy, and I think that's all that matters. Yeah, and I think that's hundred percent genuine from from his side. Yeah, I think and, so too. Uh, that is one thing that I, th- I think make England um, quite strong in this tournament. That the the one guy that they're depending on, he's in good form. And even though he he only scored uh, he only scored in the in the in this game, he hasn't scored before that. Mm. But he's also like very humble. And that's incredibly humble and that's the thing and then they also have like all these they have they have like all these like young promising players also pretty humble none of them feel like they are like a big ego who creates like problems in the group you know Jude Bellingham uh, Bukayo Saka uh, Phil Foden Marcus Rashford all of them feel like humble yeah, hard working guys none of them feel like they're cocky you know making um, that make like um, problems in the dressing rooms and stuff like that and also you know the coach is not like in such a big focus also like yeah, South, that's what I like Southgate he's not like so char- uh, char- characteristic like Sven Goran Eriksson he was like a lot of things going on with him beside the field. There was like rumors about love affairs. There were rumors about him and uh, not clicking at all with the whole mid midfield that he, he had back in the days with uh, Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, David Beckham, Scholes. Scholes. And it was like also like problems with the formation. Um, with Gary Southgate, the only thing that they has been like talks w- um, uh, is that he he's playing w- one player that everyone thinks shouldn't start, Harry Maguire, and also but that he's been he's, good. Yeah, exactly. Um, and also that maybe he 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 don't play. Um, maybe uh, one of the best right backs in the world has been like at least for previous seasons with Trent Alexander-Arnold. He's not even a starting player. But both these decisions seems to be successful ones so far. With Harry Maguire being really good in this tournament, uh, and uh, and also like um, uh, Kyle Walker and Trippier, Trippier, who's been really good, both of them. Hey, I don't think. For England. I don't think Southgate gets enough respect. I was reading a stat earlier today saying England have won the same amount of knockout games, you know, from 2018 to now as they've won between 1956 or 58 until 2016. Yeah. So the same amount of knockout wins in 60 years as in the last three tournaments. Yeah. You know, which shows, you know, how he's really, you know, pushed him to this next level and 
knockout yeah. football. Yeah, and he's also been like working with this team, developing this team, developing these young players, giving these young players chance, uh, chances after chance. For sure. Um, for so many years. And that that is also like consistency in football. You should not underestimate it. No, you can't. That That is a huge part of the game. And also like how everything is going on with like the, the feeling in the dressing room and uh, those type of things. I think that he creates a great atmosphere in the, in the dressing room too. Yeah, I think so uh, too. And then actually there was one game, the first game actually who didn't uh, uh, finish off uh, during 90 minutes that they had to do like overtime and, and stuff. And that was Japan, uh, the surprise, surprise team who actually knocked out Germany mm. in the tournament uh, facing Croatia. Um, it was a tight game. Maeda from Celtic, I think is a really good player. He scored the first one. And then uh, Croatia equalized through um, Perisic on a really nice header. Really like powerful header. Mm. And uh, then it actually went to penalties. And uh, Japan has some horrendous penalties. It was like awful to watch. So Croatia went through. So far, it's only, there's been like no surprises. There's always been like the team that you would um, uh, estimate as the bigger one going through. And Brazil is now leading... Uh, against South Korea with four nil, four nil. It's not Oof. not even not even half time yet. Um, yeah, they're they're turning it on. Who scored? Vinicius, Neymar, Richarlison, and Paqueta. Yeah, my man so, Paqueta. So they're bowling out. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so we got to catch the second half of that. Yeah, exactly. So I think we actually um, we could may- maybe mention the the two games that we're gonna watch actually together with a few other friends tomorrow. Um, against Morocco uh, versus Spain. Morocco is a big surprise team in this tournament. Um, so I think that it can be a hard hard nut for for, for Spain to crush. And uh, tomorrow at 8, there's a big, this big game, uh, Portugal versus Switzerland. Um, Ronaldo's... Nah, no, maybe Ronaldo's lost dan- dance with Portugal. Yeah, it could be. Could be. But at least like his, his last dance in Europe. If you if you should uh, believe the rumors that are ongoing right now that he's leaving uh, leaving Manchester United or he's he's uh, he's already left Manchester United he's he's uh, out of contract right now but he's uh, going to the uh, South Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. right Al Nazar uh, nothing confirmed um, I saw I saw today that is it is confirmed now from like pretty like solid uh, sources that he hasn't like found any like Champions League team that were interested enough and that wanted to pay him that much. Uh, I read his boy, Pierce Morgan, said nothing's true. <laughs> <laughs> that man, Pierce Morgan. <laughs> Feels like he's like Cristiano Ronaldo's messenger. Sp- yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's like spokesperson. Yeah. Ronaldo, he, he won't say anything. And Pierce Morgan, he he talks more than ever. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, let's see. Interesting to see where maybe, sadly enough, we will see the two two of the goats of this game playing their football in Saudi Arabia and uh, south of Miami, south of Florida. Exactly, enter Miami with your boy David. Yeah, exactly. Going to be interesting to see. Um, for sure, Busquets, for sure. Busquets, Suarez, Messi. Uh, on those, the real team. Yeah, those type of guys in uh, in Inter Miami. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you have to live to know. All right, but I think that was, that was it. That's it for today. Yeah, it was really, really fun episode today too. I mean, we enjoyed it. We hope you did too. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You will hear us in a week again. Maybe even before that. Let's see. Let's see what happens. Vamos a ver. Yes. Yes. Take care, guys. Until next time. We love you all.
We do. Subscribe to this podcast. Uh, listen to it. Tell all your friends about us. Uh, and don't forget to rate us with five stars. All right? Cinco. <laughs> Femme. Cinq étoiles. Cinq étoiles. Femme, <laughs> Take care, guys. Peace out. We love you.